We are beginning a new series of uh, messages today, and uh, it's called Identity Crisis. I, um, I remember uh, several years ago when Desra and I first uh, moved to Africa, we, uh, we had been living in the United States. We had been pastoring a church and been doing that for some time. We had planted a church and pastored it for some time. And uh, we moved to Swaziland, and we got to Swaziland. Our role, our responsibility uh, working in Swaziland wasn't to pastor a church. We were working with other, uh, other pastors, and I would uh, travel around uh, the country of Eswatini and uh, would work with a lot of different pastors, different corners of the country, uh, helping them to uh, build up their churches and build sustainability projects connected to their uh, to their churches and help them with do crusades and things like that. And I remember I was out way out uh, in the northern part of uh, the country near a place called Pig's Peak. Any of you ever heard of that? I know there's some Swazis here. You've heard of those places. Uh, and I was out in that area, and a friend of mine uh, also just happened to be in that area, and um, he had brought he had a guest with him. Um, was from another another part of the world, and um, and they just met me in this place where we were getting ready to do a uh, sustain a, do a crusade. We were going to help uh, this pastor plant a church and and do a sustainability project. So I was out there, was getting things uh, set up. Uh, we were gonna we were gonna farm pigs. I remember in particular, and um, you didn't know I was a pig farmer too. You didn't know that, right? Um, so. <laughs> Um, we got up there, we were, we, were, we were working on that project that day, and my friend arrived with his uh, guest, and he, we began to talk. And in Swaziland, um, if you are, this was, at least this was the way it was when I was there, if you are a minister, um, then, then instead of referring to you as minister, people would just introduce you as pastor. So, uh, so as my friend introduced me to his guest as Pastor Randy. And I remember it very distinctly because the lady was like, oh, you're a pastor? Where do you pastor? And up until that moment, uh, I had moved to Swaziland, was working and doing things. And uh, up until that moment, uh, no one had ever questioned that. I was just introduced as Pastor Randy. Although the truth was, I wasn't pastoring a church anywhere. And in that moment, uh, she asked me, oh, well, where do you pastor? And I remember sort of being dumbstruck and not knowing how to answer the question because I wasn't the pastor of a church anywhere. I was a missionary. I was serving in that context, but I wasn't in the role of pastor anywhere. Now, now some may say, well, that's just a matter of semantics. It's just the title. It's whatever. But, but in that moment, it occurred to me that I had embraced an identity attached, attached to a function that was no longer reality in my life. And because I had embraced an identity attached to a function that was no longer my function, all of a sudden, I began to spiral emotionally and begin to deal with an identity crisis. Because even though most of the people around me still were willing to call me Pastor Randy, this one person who was from outside of the context asked a question which revealed something very true in me. I was no longer Pastor Randy. In that context, I was Missionary Randy or whatever you may have wanted to call me, but I, I wasn't functioning 
in that role a pastor anymore. And I remember dealing with months and months and months, dealing with who, what is my identity? Who am I? Because for a very long time in my life, leading up to that season, I had trained for, prepared for, worked for, sacrificed for, had, had done a lot of stuff to get to that place to be Pastor Randy. And if I was no longer Pastor Randy, then who was I? Maybe you've never been a pastor, but all of us can relate uh, to this idea of identity and identity being challenged in our life. I mean, how many of you remember uh, maybe in grade school, you had a certain identity, maybe you were like a really happy girl or you were a tall guy or you were the really athletic boy in grade school and then you move into you move into, what is it? What comes after grade school? Primary? How does it work here? I don't know the names of it. Yeah, so you move over what I would call junior high and you get into junior high and all of a sudden you were athletic boy, you won all the sports and then you, you get into junior high and some people developed before you did and all of a sudden you're awkward, you can't control your body and you're no longer athletic guy, right? Or you're no longer happy girl or you're no longer whatever, all of a sudden you go through a season of development or change in your life and it, it starts to challenge your identity and what, who you were, what your function was, isn't the same anymore. And then all of a sudden you start to deal with identity. Anybody besides me? It's normal. It's a normal developmental part of our life. There's a, a German psychologist who coined, actually coined the phrase, his name's Eric Erickson, coined the phrase, uh, identity crisis. And when he first started studying it, he was in particular focused on adolescence and the transition that happens in adolescence, because there are so many things that happens in our lives when we're in that stage of life. Uh, physiologically, there are things that happen and that, start, that starts to cause us to question who we are. Uh, but also, uh, things start happening in your life, how you see yourself in the world, how other people see you. But at what we found through the years is it's not just something that happens in adolescence. It really happens in many stages of our life because it's directly connect, connected to seasons of development and seasons of change. And so a lot of people have experienced multiple seasons of identity crisis. In fact, the longer that you live, the more you become familiar and the more you can start to recognize when you're in seasons of identity crisis, you, when you begin to wrestle with how do I see myself in this situation? Our identity is a set of characteristics such as qualities, beliefs, personality traits, appearance, and other unique expressions that define how a person views themselves in relation to the world. So again, depending on where you're at in life, when you deal with situations that some of these things start to change or some of these things become altered, then you can come into this place where you're, where you're dealing with what people would commonly call an identity crisis. Every, every one of us, everyone faces seasons of seeking clarity in their life about their place in this world. Everyone does. Children do, teenagers do, young adults do. People who are moving into, uh, moving into middle age. One of my favorite things to think about because I'm, uh, I'm in that middle age stage. And I remember, I remember growing up when you always knew a guy was having his midlife crisis, right? Because he would go buy a sports car. I'm just wondering when I get to go buy the sports car. 
he would go get a motorcycle or something like that would happen, right? You know, it was funny to watch when I was younger, but now I'm getting in that season and I'm thinking, you know, what, what happens in our life where we're like, okay, man, I thought I knew who I was and who I, who I thought I was is all of a sudden it's, it's being challenged. People oftentimes when they experience a career shift or, or, or maybe they come to a place where uh, a dissolution of uh, a business happens or maybe a marriage gets into trouble and falls apart or, or perhaps somebody physically has something happen to them that they really can't control and, and it changed how they physically feel. All of those things start to trigger this, what we would call an identity crisis, a crisis of who am I? How do I fit into this world. If I'm not this person anymore, then, then who am I? Well, for the next few weeks, I want to talk about identity crisis. And we're going we're gonna to dig into uh, we're going to dig into Romans because I believe Romans has a lot to say about identity, especially for us as believers. Now, you know, if you've been at North Place for very long, Romans is a foundational book that we study a lot here because I believe it has a lot to say about the gospel. And I believe that it, it speaks very in a very relevant way uh, to us as modern believers. And so um, I mentioned this last week. If, you, if you've never downloaded the Bible Project app, I would highly encourage you to download the Bible Project app or you can go online to bibleproject.com and you can actually watch a really wonderful, well-done summary overview of the book of Romans. There's actually two videos there. One video does the first four chapters and then the second video uh, does the from chapter five forward. We're gonna spend a lot of time from chapter five forward talking about identity and understanding our identity because I believe God's word has a lot to say to us about identity. Now, what I wanna ask you is during your daily 20 this month, so for the month of January, during your daily 20, to be reading and studying the book of Romans. Now, some of you are new to North Place and perhaps when I say daily 20, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Here at North Place, we have a basic commitment that we have made to one another. And this basic commitment is that we, those of us who are a part of North Place, commit to what's called a daily 20. And that means that every one of us are committing to at minimum 20 minutes a day that we're setting aside for personal spiritual disciplines. Now, I know some of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time and your spiritual disciplines are much more than 20 minutes. But there, there's some of us who are part of this community and maybe we haven't been following the Lord very long or we've never really had an intentional discipling process in our life. And so what we do is we have a very easy on-ramp because all of us, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, all of us can at least set aside 20 minutes. And what we say during that 20 minutes is that we're going to commit to doing a few basic things. We're going to spend, we're going to spend just five minutes, at minimum five minutes in worship. Here at North Place, we believe that worship sets the atmosphere in our hearts and it sets the atmosphere in our minds. And by worshiping, we get ourselves in correct posture to God. I don't know about you, but my attitude can be affected sometimes by my circumstances. 
What worship does is it helps me to align my attitude so I'm ready to hear from God and I'm ready to, I'm ready to talk to God in a way that actually is, is beneficial to me. So we say we're gonna take at least five minutes, the first five minutes, and we're gonna at least spend five minutes in worship. We say that we're gonna, we're gonna take five minutes and we're gonna, we're gonna do something. We're gonna, we're gonna read uh, we're gonna read the word for five minutes. We're gonna, we're gonna set five minutes aside and we're gonna read the word. During that five minutes, I wanna encourage you, read the book of Romans. We say that we're gonna take five minutes to pray. I'm gonna talk to God. And then what, what I really believe is uh, one of the most intentional things that we do and I think is often missed in spiritual disciplines, that last five minutes, we say we're gonna take time to listen to God. Because here's what I've found. I've found that most of us, most of us have a laundry list of stuff we want Father to do for us, but we're not mature enough or patient enough to stop and listen to Father. So five minutes of worship, five minutes of reading, studying the word, not a devotional book, not what somebody else says about God, but what God says himself. Let's clarify that. So five minutes of, of worship, five minutes of reading the word, five minutes of telling God, confessing, well, here's what, here's what I need, here's, here's what's going on with me, and then five minutes of listening. Let me encourage you, during that five minutes of listening, you may find that hard to be quiet for five minutes. You may find that difficult. So if, if it works for you, get out, get out a book and write down what you feel like the Lord is saying to you. In fact, I wanted to say this today. I wanna encourage some of you to do this because some of you have never journaled before in your life. You never wrote down what God... Here's what I would encourage you to do. Start this week writing down what God is saying to you and just wait and see. Wait and see on December 31st, 2023. Wait and see some of the things that God talks about you to you about now, what has happened by December 31st, 2023. I think for some of you, you're gonna see some tremendous spiritual development in your life as a result for that. So I just wanted to give that brief overview for many of you who may be new to North Place. That's our basic commitment that we make to one another. We're all gonna participate in that. So as we do that this month, we're gonna be reflecting on the book of Romans. So let me read to you from Romans chapter eight. It says this in verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, like I said, we're gonna, we're gonna stick around in the book of Romans for the next few weeks. In Romans chapter eight, it's gonna kind of be the core of our conversation. But I believe a lot of Romans feeds into both before and after, feeds into what we see in Romans chapter eight. It's just an absolutely loaded chapter in the Bible. And it's particularly significant because it establishes for us our identities as followers of Jesus Christ. What I've come to understand is that many of us struggle, we struggle in our relationship with God and therefore struggle in our relationship with other people because it has not been settled within us, our identity in Christ. I'm gonna say that again because I really want you to understand that. Many of us struggle in our relationship with other people 
because we are struggling on our relationship with God. We struggle in our relationship with God because it has not been settled in us who we are in Christ Jesus. Many of us fight, we squabble, we have conflict with, we have broken relationship with others and it's stemming not because they're bad people or because they're terrible, it's stemming because some things haven't been settled in us and many of us are living in spiritual identity crisis and because we're living in spiritual identity crisis, we're stuck in this place that we can't move forward effectively in our relationships with others and our relationship with God. Here's what Romans teaches us, and it's really clear. Healthy identity comes from knowing who you really are. That passage, those verses that I just read to you uh, from Romans are so foundational for us as believers, and they say so much. Um, we We have been adopted into the family of God. We are children of God. Now, you and I have to understand that if you grow up as a child without a parent, it creates within you a brokenness in your identity because the way that identity is established is as we connect to people around us. And as we see how people see us, that's how we begin to see ourselves. And what psychologists tell us is that often, often, not always, but often what creates identity crisis within people is instability or insecurity in our relationships. Oftentimes, people who, people who struggle with identity issues their entire lives didn't receive the nurture and the care from their primary caregivers as children. And so as a result, they have attachment or unattachment issues their entire lives. Their identity is constantly in question. They constantly find themselves in crisis. And the reason why many of us experience identity crisis later on is we have established how we relate to people. And then when that gets messed up, all of us, when that connection gets messed up, we're saying, who am I? In other words, up until when I was in Swaziland, up until that point in my life, the people I related to related to me as Pastor Randy in their life. When I looked around and realized that that was no longer my relation to people, it caused me to question, who am I? I don't give care and I don't receive care through through that position anymore. So how am I to relate to the world? Well, if I don't know how I'm to relate to the world, then how is the world gonna relate to me? What Romans teaches us is that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have a very clear way to relate to the world, and that's through the lens of the fact that we are children of God. We're children of God. And then Paul so brilliantly goes on to say, okay, let me explain to you the implications of being children of God. Because there are certain implications the implications, and it's so beautiful, it's so beautiful. There. The implications are, you didn't do anything to earn this. You didn't do anything to deserve this. In fact, everything in the world tells you this isn't who you are, but it's who you are because the Father chose you. He adopted you. So it doesn't matter what your biology is. It doesn't matter what your family of lineage is. It doesn't matter who you come from. It doesn't matter who your parents are. In fact, it's in spite of who your parents are, in spite of where you come from, in spite of your last name, in spite of the color of your skin, in spite of everything that's happened in your life up until this point, the Father chose you. You have to know you are chosen. And there are implications to the fact that you are chosen. 
Scripture talks about it in several places. There are implications that should establish within you and I some sort of confidence and assurance knowing that in spite of everything we have been chosen and the Spirit, the Spirit works in us that creates within us the confidence of one who has been adopted, the one who knows he chose me. It's easy to look at a child that's been adopted and say, oh, poor thing, they were adopted. But think about it for a minute. I'm kind of stuck with my biological children. (laughs) It just sort of happened. Right? But an adopted child, if you could just reframe it, If you could just reframe it, an adopted child has the privilege. You got to get this in your spirit. An adopted child has the privilege of being able to say, he chose me. All of us, no matter how good your relationship may be with your biological parents, you can't say they chose me. But an adopted child can always say they chose me. And Romans says that's one thing that we all have to get as believers. The Father has chosen us. And because the Father has chosen us, there's a double level of intimacy. There's a double claim on your identity as a child of God. You're able to say, he's my Abba, Father. He chose me. He looked at me. He saw me. He knew everything about me. He knew my brokenness. He knew where I came from he knew all this going on in my life and yet he still picked me there's a confidence in that you know identity crisis happens in our lives when things happen that starts to shake our confidence and yet an adopted child has this this super confidence because they can say I was chosen and because I'm chosen I'm an heir Healthy identity comes from knowing who you, who you really are. But we have to understand the problem with identity crisis and as identity issues start to creep up in our life is when I'm defining myself through the lenses of myself, it sets me up for a crisis. Now that may sound like um, a, a troubling concept, but, but think about it for a moment. If I'm defining myself through myself, it's gonna lead me to the, if I define myself by the fact that I had worked all of my life, I had done all this stuff, and I was Pastor Randy, and I go into an environment where I'm no longer, I can't be, it's not my choice, it's not my decision, it's not within my capacity in that place to be. So if I'm defining myself by myself, then when I get to that place that I can't control my environment, it's gonna lead me to a crisis. Some of us, some of us, we struggle with identity issues because we, we have chosen the road of defining ourselves according to ourselves, to our own limitations. What I can do, what I can control. I'm the athletic guy, guy. No matter how athletic you are, you're going to get older, brother. Those knees are going to give out someday, my friend. 
And if your whole identity is being the athletic guy, one day that's gonna start to break down. I'm the skinny girl. Now, I'm not gonna talk a whole lot about this because I don't wanna get myself in trouble. But scripture teaches us and life and experience teaches us that if I'm defining myself by, by things that are, hear this, if I'm defining myself by things that scripture and biology teaches us will decay, then I'm setting myself up for a crisis. We've been trying to teach this for a while. I hope you're getting it and it's layered into so much of what we teach. We're not working for a kingdom that's on this earth because the kingdom of this earth will pass away. That's why all the fake, false, garbage gospel is causing people to be disenfranchised from the church because for the last 20 or 30 years, we've been teaching a fake, false gospel that doesn't work because it's built on the principles of building a kingdom in this life and Jesus never said he was building a kingdom in this life. That's why we shouldn't be pursuing a kingdom in this life. And if I build my identity on a career or I build my identity on an education or I build my identity on a relationship or something that I can control or that I can make happen, what happens when it gets out of control? What happens when my body fades? What happens when the economy spirals? What happens when other people make choices and decisions that I can't control and it affects things? What happens? Well, I go into crisis. I set myself up for a failure. Romans chapter seven, verses 14 through 20 says this, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold unto under sin. For I do not understand what my own actions, or I do not understand my own actions. I, I man, this, I just love when Paul says this. For I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Think about, wait a minute. I thought I was a Christian. I thought I was renewed. I thought I was sanctified. Did they not say it in your church that way growing up? <laughs> For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Well, that's some positive psychology right there, right? That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Ooh. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Man, what an identity crisis. One of the things I love so much about Paul's writing is that Paul most of what we see from Paul are letters that he wrote uh, to the church uh, and to church leaders that he had deep relationship with or to some of the people who were his disciples. And so a lot of what we see from Paul are personal letters. So we're really able to see into his world and really see his life. And I love his level of transparency. And actually I believe Paul 
as Christ modeled as well, sets an example for us of, of servant leadership and humility and leadership that a lot of us could learn from in that Paul was very transparent about his process. In fact, let me, let me just say this. Paul wasn't the kind of person who was so insecure that he had to act like everything was perfect in his life. Paul was a person who said, you know what? I recognize that there are opportunities for identity crisis in my life, but here's how I'm gonna work through those identity crises in my life. I'm not gonna pretend like everything is perfect. Instead, I'm gonna be open and honest about the conflict that is going on inside of me. I'm gonna be open and honest about the fact, and he unloads it here in Romans chapter seven as he's building this beautiful, powerful theological treatise on our identity in Christ. In that process of building up to chapter eight, he says, let's be clear, everyone. The, the thing is that I'm a mess. I own the fact that I'm constantly in this place of identity crisis because there's this part of me that knows what to do. And he said, here's what's so complicated about it. I know what to do because the law has taught me what to do. The law, the law of Moses has taught me what sin is. See, a lot of times people look at the law of Moses and they say, oh, the law of Moses must have been bad. If you, under, if you, if you really understand the teaching of Jesus and the apostles, the law of Moses wasn't bad. The law of Moses had a place and the, the place of the law of Moses was to teach us what sin was. Paul said, the law isn't there. It isn't there to create this brokenness inside of me. Instead, it's there to reveal my true motives. It's there to reveal what's going on inside of me. It's there to show me and to demonstrate to me that I am broken and in need of the work of the Holy Spirit. I am broken and in need of understanding my identity, not in my own capacity to perform, not in my own capacity to perform, not in my own capacity to perform, some of you need to hear that this morning because your entire life since childhood, people have been putting you in a box and you have been judged and you have learned to judge yourself based on your performance. How do you do in school? How do you behave when the adults walk up? Do you shake their hand right? Do you smile at them properly? How do you perform at work? Do you do the stuff you're supposed to do in the way that your bipolar boss who changes his mind every day And we've been taught, and here's the problem. Because this is the way we're forced to relate to man, we think that's the way we're supposed to relate to God. And we use these terminology like Father God, and because many of us, our relationship with our earthly father is so distorted and broken, we input onto God that same relational standard. God says, oh, hold on a moment. I know you're a mess, but I still choose you. Your biological father was stuck with you, but I'm not your biological father. I'm your heavenly father. I chose you. You don't have to perform for me. You don't have to perform for me. 
I chose you, I chose you in spite of knowing that you couldn't perform, you couldn't set the standard, you can't obey the law, you're never going to obey the law of Moses. Guess what? That was the point. The point was to show you that you need me. The point was to show you my love and mercy and grace. My relationship with you would not be based on performance. But here's what happens. The inability to live according to my own compass, the law, how I see is right and wrong in the world. The inability to live according to my own compass produces chronic insecurity in me. Paul says, listen, If I allow this to, it would destroy me because there's this constant battle of my identity going on inside of me. There's this force at work in me that I wanna pretend as if it's not me, but it really is me. And it's this this causational relationship between knowing what is right and then not being able to always do what is right. And then that messes with my identity. But he goes on and he says, listen, all of that, all of that is happening in my life. And yet God still chose me. See, many of us, because of our inability to perform at certain stages and places of our life, our inability to execute hopes and dreams that maybe even were not our own, but somebody else's that were imposed upon us. So many of us battle insecurity because we're living according to a set of rules that do nothing more but show us what we can't do instead of who we were created to be. We're living according to a set of rules that are there to show us what we can't be. I think so many times as I'm ministering to people and in relationship with people, I think so many times, God help us with this issue of insecurity. How much damage is done in our relationships, our relationship with God, in our relationship with other people because we continue to battle insecurity. Let me ask you a question. What are are some signs of insecurity? This is audience participation time. So you just call them out. When when somebody's insecure, how do they act? What do they do? Somebody's defensive. What else? Come on, let me hear you, let me hear you, let me hear you. Withdrawn, what's that? They project, what else? Angry, I heard over here. This side over here. What, what about, you guys don't know any insecure people? I'll introduce you to a few if you want me to. Insecurity, how does it manifest itself? Come on, tell me, let me hear you. Trust issues, ooh, that's a big one. They only talk about themselves. What else? Jealousy. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I know we don't often do audience participation, but come on, let me hear you. Let me hear you. They seek affirmation. What else? Withdrawn. You know, isn't that interesting? Because it seems like insecurity, it takes people to one extreme or the other. I've been in seasons in my life where I'm battling insecurity and that insecurity causes me to withdraw and shut down and to isolate myself. And then I've also been in seasons of my life where I'm battling insecurity and instead of being, instead of being on that end of the spectrum, what do I do? I like push my way to the front. And, 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 and you guys said things from both ends of the spectrum. Have you ever met somebody who's really loud and obnoxious and you're like, oh, that dude's insecure. You ever met that? And then you meet somebody who's really shy and really withdrawn and you say, oh, that guy's insecure, right? It's fascinating. 
that insecurity will evoke within us some very extreme behaviors. We, we often know it when we see it in others, but I wonder how often we know it when it's going on in our own lives. It's easy for many of us to identify the behavior in other people, uh, but when I, am, when I am responding in my relationships to those around me, or I'm responding in my relationship to God through the lens or through the filter of insecurity, what does that look like? What does it look like for you? When your identity is being questioned, when the labels that you wear that have defined you your whole life all of a sudden start to become unstable, how does that manifest itself in your relationship? How does it manifest yourself in your worship? How does it manifest you itself in your prayer life? Think about it, if I'm feeling insecure and I respond to my wife out of my insecurity, that's going, to, that's going to create and shade our interaction. That same truth happens in my relationship with God. When I'm praying out of my insecurity, am I listening to God? Am I willing to listen? Some of us, when we're feeling insecure, we get really demanding and we get really bossy and we get really condescending. Oh, that, you guys, it must be the people over on this side. We get real demanding and bossy and condescending and hateful and rude and obnoxious. What does that sound like in your prayer life? Whew. What does it sound like in, in my, because some of us, when we get, when, we, when we're feeling insecure, when our identity is questioned, some of us become sullen and pouty, and passive-aggressive. You ever prayed passive-aggressively? <laughs> well, God, if you really loved me, I guess this would happen in my life. None of you have ever done that, huh? If you really cared about me, isn't, wouldn't, isn't that really weird to think things like that when Scripture says, that you're adopted? Isn't it really weird to come to a place in your walk with Jesus where you feel like, because it's what you've been taught through manipulation, other people have, have put on you, that you've been taught that the way to get God to do what you want him to do is by manipulating him? And we passive aggressively pray or we passive aggressively do our daily 20. Oh Lord, I'm coming to worship you today. I know you say you love me. Insecurity is a sense of deficiency or shortcoming that produces uncertainty within oneself about their capacity to respond to situations, relationships, and goals. Insecurity can look very different according to our personality types. It can look very different according to the seasons that we have in our life. It can look very different in our cultures. Around this room, there are multiple nations represented. There are multiple cultures from those nations represented. And so we have to understand that culture shades those things. Our experiences shade those things. The people have influenced us in our life shade those things. But I'm encouraging you today to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to search your heart and search your life and ask you the questions, what do you believe about God and what do you believe about yourself? 
And most importantly for today is what do you believe God believes about you? Does he believe that because I'm no longer have the title Pastor Randy, that I'm somehow less? That when he reached down and called on an 11-year-old boy, that he somehow, that heaven is somehow panicking because I'm not Pastor Randy anymore? That that calling somehow changed? Maybe because at that season of my life, I had culturally taken a word and I had made it mean something or had imprinted on my heart and life that to be called meant that I would be in this role or I would have this title or I would do this thing. That people took the Bible out of context and misinterpreted and created a theology for me that wasn't even, that wasn't even real and created a construct in my life that one day would lead me to a place where I wanted to know, am I, am I really, am I, am I really loved by God? Am I really in his will? Am I, where is he? Wow. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? how we can get to these moments and yet Father God is still Father God and he still chooses us and heaven's not shaken by what has shaken me to my core. Romans chapter eight, verses 38 to 39 says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let it sink in. Some of us are allowing some of us are allowing death or life to define us. Some of us are allowing rulers to define us. We are allowing things, things that are present or things that we're afraid that might be coming to define us. Think, let this sink in. You, we read this scripture, oh, praise the Lord, I'm loved. But we don't really, we don't really see it. We don't really understand it. We don't really get what Paul is saying. Paul says, nothing, nothing can change your identity. We read it and we say, oh, I'm loved. That's so wonderful. Don't read the whole chapter. Being loved means that you are his child, that your identity is settled, that no matter what happens to you, you are his child doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what your role is. It doesn't matter whether people like you or not. Listen, can I let you in on a secret in life? Some people just aren't gonna like you. And it doesn't matter. 
Some people aren't going to receive you, and it doesn't matter. Some people won't care about what you're doing or what's important to you, and it doesn't matter. Some people aren't going to recognize your calling. They're not going to recognize your gifting, but you don't have to go on Facebook or Instagram and be telling everybody about it all the time because God already knew, and he chose you. You got to get this. To be loved doesn't mean some warm, fuzzy feeling. It means he chose you, and that's all that matters. That's all that matters. The law, the stuff around us is really good at teaching us what we're not. But God says, let me me tell you who you are. And who you are is settled. It's secure. And you know what? Whether others read it right around you or not, or honor it, or choose it, it really doesn't matter because there's nothing in all of this creation, nothing in all of this creation that can change who you are. When you and I struggle with our identity, first thing that has to be settled is to understand who I am am in Christ. And once I know who I am in Christ, I can start to overcome. I can start to overcome the monster of insecurity that eats away at every single one of us. I can start to overcome the guilt, the condemnation, the condescension, the arrogance, the whichever side of the emotional spectrum it manifests itself in my life. I can start to overcome it. Because I know who I am. And nothing can change that. 